so before I pray uh, to read the scriptures, uh, two things. One is, uh, if you were here last week, you'll note that the text for the sermon from last week's the same as this week. And you might tempted, be tempted to think that I thought Isaiah did a poor job and I need to come back behind him and fix that up. Um, one of the things, one of the uh, terrible things about my job is that I don't get to hear great preaching very often. And so I'm sad that I missed some great preaching last week. Uh, but Isaiah did a, a, a terrific job. We are blessed to have him and Abby here among us. Um, but I am going to focus on uh, when we laid out the schedule for the text that we were going to do, which I don't know, six months ago, maybe more ago, I thought this text merited two Sundays. And uh, so uh, we're going to do that. I'm going to focus pretty much uh, on the very last verse as we go through that today. Uh, and, and the other thing I think uh, that's important for us as we gather in worship today, Shang's already mentioned this, and I, I want to echo it as well. You know, we, um, you know, it, um, it is a um, sobering, grievous, embittering, maybe temptation to be embittered uh, the fruit of uh, racism in our country, uh, in our hearts, in our community, and you see that borne out uh, in what happened uh, yesterday. And so I want you today uh, to hope in uh, the day when Jesus returns and all sin, all death, all suffering um, will uh, not even be a memory, including uh, racism. And so in light of that, I think I just want to pray uh, for that again this morning. So join me in prayer. Father, as we come to your uh, scriptures today, as we think about uh, the work that you are doing in and among us, and we thank you for these words of warning that Jesus gives to us, would you protect us uh, from false teaching, certainly, false ideas, false ways of living, false leaders. Um, but Lord, we pray too that uh, as the prophet Isaiah said, that we look forward uh, to the day when the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the sea does. And so we, we look forward to that day where uh, racism, hatred, uh, fear and death will be banished forever. So as the scriptures tell us, come Lord Jesus. Uh, we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, so Matthew seven fifteen through 20, text is uh, in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So, clementines and avocados. 
Let's talk about them for a second. Um, when our boys were younger, when they were in high school, we went through, you know how the Clementines sometimes come in a box like this? We went through one of those uh, every other day. Healthy snack, right? Um, and so now, I still like them. We take, it takes about one a week for, for Marty and, and me. Now I eat a lot of them for lunch because they're easy to peel. They're not messy. I don't drip on everything. And they're tasty. So what I typically do is go in the store, not really looking that carefully, pick a bag up, because they come in bags now for some reason, put it in the, the thing. And, and the that thing. Anyway, so... So when I, I get home, I'm always horrified when I open it up, and what looks so great, there's a, there's a, a you know, one, a, a rotten one in the middle, and if there's one that's really rotten, there are two or three around it that are getting rotten. So for some reason, I don't know how this works, you know, it's like, it's like the rottenness is contagious, it's like it's a virus or something, and so it spreads. And not only am I horrified by the fact that I spent money and now I've got three fewer clementines to eat than I did before, but it's just an ugly picture of how bad fruit affects good fruit. Avocados. We're big fans in our house of fat, <laughs> right? All kinds of fat, the greasy fats, the other kinds of fats. But avocados are the good fat. That's what we call them. And so every time we open one up, I'm eating the good fat. The problem with avocados is they have, uh, you know, for about 30 seconds, they're edible. And if you get them before the 30 seconds or after the 30 seconds, before the 30 seconds, they're hard and flavorless. And after the 30 seconds, they just got those nasty black spots all over them. And if you eat them, it might make you sick, right? Now, what we have done with that, because we are such fans of the good fat, Marty and I had a project for about five or six years of taking the pit out of an avocado and trying to root it and it finally worked. We have an avocado tree. Yeah, wow is right. Now, um, do we know anything about raising avocados? No. Do we know anything about what to do if we grew one? No, but we have an avocado tree and we look forward to something happening with that. We had two and the bunnies like to eat the top off of avocado shoots when they're coming out of the ground. And so they never really, that one never really did anything. But we have, we have the possibility this year, sometime, of having an avocado that we grew ourselves, right? So uh, we look forward to God bringing us that fruit. Listen, anytime you read a text in the Bible that begins with the word, and, and it's directly from Jesus, and he says, beware. You should pay attention. Perk up. Listen, that, that Jesus and his love and his grace and his mercy looks into the eyes of those people there on that side of that mountain, and he looks into our eyes and hearts today, and he wants to warn us about the deadly nature of false prophets and their fruit, right? 
Now, just to, to note this, even though the text ends with the statement that these false trees, these trees that bear uh, uh, bad fruit will end up being thrown into the fire, this is not so much a warning to false prophets as it is a warning to the flock of God, to the family of God, to the people who belong to him, who might be infected, affected by false prophets. Uh, because the, the fact of the matter is, as Jesus lays out before us, as the apostles teach us, and as throughout the, the New Testament, it is clear that the expectation is that there will be folks who will come along who will appear to be, as the text says, real sheep, but really internally they're wolves, ravenous wolves, who are only seeking themselves and desire power, Wealth, influence, in a way that destroys the people of God. So what we're going to look at this morning is, what is a bad fruit? What is a good fruit? And how does one tell the difference between them? But I think a better way to ask that question is not the how do you tell those but the when, because time is a factor as we look at this. So next slide, please, Brian. So how do we, how do we detect bad fruit from a, a, a false prophet? Well, one of the ways, one of the primary ways is that they motivate us to do something or to believe something largely through fear. Listen, the consistent message of the New Testament over and over and over again, from the angels, from Jesus Christ, from his apostles, is fear not. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of fear that you have when, when your kid runs away from you out into the parking lot or something like that, but I am talking about the fear that somehow or other that there are forces or there are things that would, uh, uh, that, that, that would undo you, right? In the sense that somehow or other, God is not sovereign, Jesus is not Lord, and as we've already sung, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. So anything that begins to obscure that truth from you and I and makes us think that somehow or other we are bereft of the comfort, of the power, of the grace, and of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, and that makes us think that there is some force, some person, something bigger than this God who loves us, and that we are motivated then to give or to do Sheer fear as the motivator, that is a message from a false prophet. Now, there are plenty of warnings. There are plenty of things that say to us to be, as we're saying here, we should beware of false prophets. But if the center of your life, as I wrote in, in yesterday's le letter, that the, the habit of our minds often is to gravitate toward fear, to gravitate to fear like my place may give way or God does not regard me or somehow or other that... We, we work and we pray against that. And the, the forces and the people and the institutions that move you solely by fear tend to be in the camp of false prophets. 
the consistent message to people in the New Testament is that God is for us, even to a suffering people, even to a people that is being martyred, that the vision of the Bible ends with those people dressed in glory surrounding the very throne of God. And so anything that comes at us first and foremost as a motivation for fear uh, it tends to be a, a, a fruit from a false prophet because fear is a powerful human motivator and it is a way for us to get people to do what we want them to do. Secondly, false promise of obedience. What do I mean by that? Recently, someone came into my office and, and showed me uh, a piece of red cloth that had been touched or anointed or something by somebody else and that if you held this cloth and prayed over it, you know, or, or whatever, long enough, you'd get healed or you'd get what you want, whatever. And you had to pay money for this cloth. Now, um, and so, you know, we look at that and we think, well, that's sheer superstition and that's, that's inappropriate. But there are tons of people, tons of so-called ministries and so-called approaches to things that will tell you that if you do this, one thing, if you parent this way, you have a guaranteed outcome. If you give to this ministry, you will be rich. If, if you do this, things will work out for you and life will go easy. Now, there are clearly uh, promises of God in the scripture that when we take Jesus at his word and when we entrust ourselves to him, when we obey him and we believe him, there is great blessing. And that blessing is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, right? Right? It's those kinds of things, right? God never says to his people that if you and I follow after him, life will be easy. Tell that to the martyrs. Tell that to Job. Right? So, so the fact is, anything that would, that would motivate us to tell us that, and, and the reason why this works for us is, life is hard. We are afraid. Difficulties come our way. Challenges are all around us. And if someone offers to me the algebraic religion, which is if you do X and you add it to Y, you get Z every time, we fall for it. And so it's, it's important for us to be on the guard for that because any, anybody who teaches, who preaches, who excludes from the reality of following hard after Jesus, of being on the narrow way and entering the narrow gate and says that there's no suffering in that, they're missing the New Testament because the New Testament promises to us the reality of suffering. So anything that says you can be a follower of Christ and, and avoid all suffering in this life, false prophet. Thirdly, how... Uh, uh, how, what's, what's a third uh, fruit from a false prophet? Well, one of the things is that generally poverty of spirit, meekness, humility, those things that Jesus talks about at the beginning of the sermon, uh, the generosity, not serving two masters, can't serve money and God, uh, you know, a rejection of the accumulation or the power of money, those things tend not to be a part of a false prophet's repertoire because the false prophet 
What makes him so dangerous, Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John that the false prophet, the false shepherd, uh, comes only to kill and to steal. The true prophet and his people come to serve, come to die, come to give up, to come to lay down their lives and take up their cross for the sake of others. And so it's an important thing as we look at that, to, to think about that is to understand that that is the, the, the nature uh, uh, of, of, of all of us. We all normally, naturally draw back from these things, right? But the, the work of the Spirit of God, the work of the, of, of the gospel in us turns us away from self-seeking and, and the seeking after power and changes us into the image of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man who came to serve, right? So I think that's, that's a, those are some, just some big picture kind of uh, important things for us uh, uh, to look at. So what about some good fruit? What are some things that we could look for to help us uh, differentiate between a false prophet and a good prophet? Well, Paul lays those out for us in Galatians, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Now, here's a problem that we have that, that was not as prevalent in uh, the New Testament age is this. Um, many false prophets, you can't get close enough to them to know whether they're patient or kind. Because they have a curated image. Right? When we go through the process every year of electing elders and deacons in the church, uh, I always, uh, at the end of the process, call... Uh, the wives of our elder candidates, and I ask them one question, can you vote for your husband? And if they say they cannot vote for their husband for any reason, this person shouldn't run for office. Because I figure, in my failing way, that she knows him. She knows him. She lives with him. She, she feels his touch. She hears his words. She watches him in hard situations when things go wrong, right? And so that's one of the great things about the, the living, breathing body of Christ is it allows us to get close enough to one another. It allows us to live with one another, to be with one another over time to see what kind of people we are and see how the Spirit is working and, and how fruit is being born, right? So that we don't just carry around with us this curated image of, I'm only going to project to you the things that, you know, that help me further my agenda, Another thing that we, uh, that's particularly problematic for our day and age is we are attracted to style. I like that style, right? Uh, and, you know, there's all sorts of tastes and that sort of thing. But, it, but style is not the gospel. Style is not what sustains us over the long haul, right? Uh, we look for success. 
You know, wow, that's the latest, hottest thing. People are flocking to that. It's, it's popular, you know. We, we want to know more about that. And, and, and that must be a great thing. And that's not to say that God does not give growth and that he does not give uh, great uh, fruit uh, to ministry. But the fact of the matter is, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? What about those millions of names we'll never know until we get to glory who died, shed their blood because of their faithfulness to Christ? What about those missionaries who packed their belongings in coffins? What about those faithful preachers of the gospel, moved simply by the love of Christ, who work year in and year out 10, 15, 20 years for one convert. Right? And so the fact is, we we have to be careful about this. We have to exercise some discernment about how we determine what real popularity, what real success is. Because what we are told and what we see in the Scriptures, what Jesus is consistently ministering and telling us is, is that successfulness looks like faithfulness. Success looks like carrying your cross. Success doesn't look like finding and achieving your best life now and finding and achieving the way in which you can live a comfort comfortable life. The false prophet tends to be afraid uh, that he might be exposed and that he might uh, have, um, and and because his popularity matters so much, uh, he'll do almost anything to maintain it. Like writing a book, taking, taking church funds to buy thousands of copies of the book so you can get your name on the New York Times bestsellers list so you can sell more books. So when I write my book, actually I've written a book. When I handed Marty the draft of the first page of it, first, first chapter, Uh, She picked it up and she read the first paragraph and she handed it back to me and said, that's too technical, I'm not going to read that. (laughs) Yep, it was a winner. That was good. (laughs) I love that. That's a really, so it's going to be a bestseller, isn't it, sweetie? So, um, So we, have, we are so drawn to the crowd, we are drawn to what is popular, we are drawn to what sounds good, we are drawn to what tickles our ears, when in fact, the eyes of Jesus are upon the ones and the work that's often hidden from us. Pray that God would open our eyes to see uh, the good fruit. Next slide. 
Um, so what do we want to see? How do we differentiate this? Well, what we want to see in people's lives, what we want to see to, to be able to tell the, 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 the good prophet from the false prophet is a life of growing conformity to the norms of the kingdom of God. Now, here's, here's the thing about that. Notice what I say about that, a life of growing conformity to the norms uh, of the kingdom of God. And, and that'll look like righteousness and transparent humility, purity, prayer dependence, truthfulness, love, generosity. And so, so the fact of the matter is, what we have to see about that is, is that this is something that takes time, right? A growing conformity to the norms of the kingdom. Because the fact of the matter is, every single one of us at probably at some point or another, or at some time or another in our lives of following after Christ, have spoken like or acted like a false prophet. But the difference, the difference ultimately between the false prophet and then those of us who might tend to slip into that is this, the gift of repentance. The false prophet resists repenting because if you repent, you have to hum humble yourself. You have to take up your cross and you have to submit. And so when you do those things, you lose that kind of uh, sheen of whatever it is that you're doing and saying and projecting to maintain your power and to maintain uh, your sense of, of, you know, that you're in control and that uh, your way is the only way. But see, the narrow way that Jesus talks about, it means appropriating the righteousness of Christ. It means transparent humility. It means growing purity. It means prayer dependence, right? So the false prophet tends to be very gifted, very smart, very savvy, very competent. And so their tendency is not to depend upon Christ. Their tendency is not to depend on the truth of the gospel. Their tendency is not to depend on the power of the Spirit, but rather to trust themselves and to trust their own, uh, the, the gifts that they, gener that they generate. That they're truthful. Uh, Don Carson in his uh, 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 commentary on this section of this uh, uh, a passage of scripture says everyone has an opinion and not every opinion is relevant. So in fact, there may be times and there may be places where uh, the, the, the truth of the gospel makes the work that the real prophet does unpopular. Jeremiah in the, in, in the well, sinking up into the mud, Right? Um, now, the truth of the matter is, the nature of the, in, in nature, the production of fruit is slow, so this takes time. That's the hard thing about sanctification, isn't it? That's the hard thing about growth in grace is we don't snap our fingers and suddenly become uh, uh, little Jesuses running around. It takes a long time. It takes such a long time. It takes an incredibly long time. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, for all of us here today, for you, for me, the, the truth is we are all in this struggle. 
And we, we could grow tired, we could grow discouraged, we could even grow despairing of the fact that I'm never getting anywhere, I'm, I'm still struggling with these things. You know, could I be a false prophet? Because is there a growing sense of righteousness in me? Well, here's what I want you to understand about this. Just as it takes a long time for fruit to be born and for fruit to be seen in our hearts and our lives as we grow and as we change, there's also the principle, don't look for a 100% return on the fruit in your life. When, when Jesus tells the parable of the sower, the sower goes out and he throws the seed, and some falls on the walkway, the birds eat it. Some falls in the shallow soil, it grows up and it dies. Some grows where the weeds grow and the weeds choke it out. But, so, the, but the seed falls on good soil, and, and it's good soil. And guess what? The good soil sometimes only produces 30-fold. Because we're a mixed bag. We're on the way. We're a work in progress. But we are on the way, <laughs> the narrow way, and we are repenting and trying, seeing, crying out to God to help us stay on the narrow way. And this is, this, this, this is going to be true of us until we die. You know, um, those of you who know me for a long time will can testify to the, to the truth of this. When I was a younger man, I was mad all the time. Just angry. Everything made me mad. Small man complex. Uh, where I come from, you got to be mad to be heard and to get anywhere in life. Just mad, mad, mad. Angry, you know. Ready to, you know, hot as, as we say in North Carolina, hot as a match. Just mad. And I've kind of been patting myself on the back lately. Like, you know, you're not as angry as you used to be. You're doing a better job. It's getting better. It's getting better. Even Marty seems to be, you know, th thinking you're, you're not as angry as you used to be. You know, your, your kids don't think you're as angry as you used to be. This is a good thing. I'm growing. I, I put that sin to death. Something happened to me Friday morning, and I, was, I wasn't angry. Frankly, God forbid, I was overwhelmed with anger. What Nyan, right? I was overwhelmed. And we had a session overnight, and I went home to pack. And I didn't think I was that angry, because after all, I've killed it. So I'm just, you know, righteously going about my way, stating my case. And it dawned on me while I was packing that Marty was following me around the house as I was gathering stuff, listening to me talk. And I'm like, is she afraid I'm going to forget something? What is she doing? And she kissed me goodbye as I was standing in the driveway, and she just looked at me and said, hey, one word. I said, what's that? She says, make sure you don't have a stroke. <laughs> So I must be in the 30-fold area of uh, the fruit of putting my anger away instead of the 100-fold. But you see, the, the reality that we, that we have to get at here is it takes time for us to see the fruit in ourselves, and often it takes time to see the proof of fruit 
in the lives of the people we follow after. Jesus loves his church. And he wants us to exercise discernment in who we lend our ears and our eyes to so that we can see and follow Jesus only uh, into the narrow way. Hear these words of institution, the Lord's Supper. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together by using this confession of sin. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Instead of hearing your word, we have sought other voices. Our only hope is in your son's finished work. You lived the life we should have lived. You died the death we should have died in our place as our substitute to make atonement for our sins. Fill our lives with the fruit of your spirit and restore us after your likeness. Grant us to walk as Christ walked. Forgive us and change us, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. At the end of the Bible, the Apostle John, an old man, the one who leaned against Jesus at the Lord's Supper, who was probably, if this is possible, Jesus' best friend on his earthly ministry, has a vision of Jesus on the island of Patmos. And Jesus appears to him in shining clothes with a sword coming out of his mouth, standing among the church, the lamp stands, and it is a powerful vision. And John falls at his feet and Jesus says, fear not. Later in the book, John has a vision of Jesus on the throne. 
the very center of the universe, at the very center of heaven. And that vision of the true prophet, that vision of the king, of the lion of the tribe of Judah, is a lamb with his throat cut, standing in triumph. No false prophet will die for you. <clears throat> or me. When, um, back in the day before the pandemic, you know, 150 years ago, we used to do a communion where we uh, had uh, trays of bread with the matzah bread, like this big cracker that I have here, broken up in little pieces so that you could come and take it out of the, the tray. We don't do that anymore because of the pandemic. God willing, we will go back to that someday. But I have insisted with the communion prep teams that they leave me this cracker because I want you to see me break it. I want you to hear it. I want you to see the crumbs fly off of it. I want you to see that. Because the real prophet was broken for you. Real Jesus really was broken by our sin so that we would have life. That's how we know he's the real thing. He's the real prophet and not a false prophet. He stands at the center of the universe right now, bearing in his body the signs of that brokenness as an eternal testimony to his love, his power. That's, my friend, we look for that in our prophets, the broken the ones that are ready to lay down their lives for the sake of the sheep. That's our proclamation. That's our hope. That's our faith. If you've come to the place in your spiritual life where that is your hope, your faith, your profession, Jesus welcomes you to the table. come to that place in your spiritual life and you have proclaimed that to a body of believers somewhere, he welcomes you. He greets you, even bearing, even now, those marks uh, in his body. Uh, as the uh, elders come down front uh, to assist me, let me remind you uh, that uh, when you come forward, there'll be trays with wine, there'll be trays with juice. You'll notice that uh, there will uh, be two cups with a gluten-free wafer underneath or a uh, cup of wine or juice on top of that. If you're unable to come uh, forward, raise your hand and we will serve you. Uh, once everyone has been served, we'll eat uh, and drink together. <clears throat>